Welcome to Girl Power Pod, a podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, we met up with Delvin Stewart, founder of Women's Fund. We talked about how women give differently and the power that comes with it. We also talked about how she realized she was a feminist and what that means to her. to the fifth episode of Girl Power Pod. Thank you for meeting up with me, Dalvin Stewart. I'm really pleased to have you here. Could you please start with introducing yourself and a bit about your background? Yes, I am Dalvin Stewart. I was born and bred Kiwi, grew up rurally in the Bay of Plenty uh, and have worked here and overseas in brand and corporate affairs and um, community engagement for many years and more latterly in the not-for-profit sector. So I've, um, I've run a big not-for-profit. Uh, I've run a family foundation. Um, I've done a lot of corporate giving and corporate community work. Uh, and I've been running Auckland's Community Foundation. And from that have launched the Women's Fund and now I've completely dedicated to the women's movement and women's giving and the change that women want to and want to see in the world. That's right. So you mentioned that you started the Women Fund. How did your interest for equality and, and feminism start? What was the, or what's your idea of feminism? Yeah, I would probably um, attribute it to my mother. We all attribute so much to our mother as girls. Um, I grew up in the 70s, uh, which was in New Zealand very much a um, girls can do anything. It was plastered everywhere. And I had a mother who absolutely, she was a very strong woman, and she encouraged me completely to do anything that I wanted to do. Um, and I went off and did anything that I wanted to do, and I didn't let that gender perspective from my personal point of view hold me back at all and I've had a very successful career um, but I think really it was the the women's marches so the, the outpouring of, of frustration that we saw in women in early 2017 that really made me think and what I recognised was that I had been successful um, essentially by working the existing system which is largely designed for men it's not a that's not a hit out at men it's just a fact it was largely divine designed for men who have wives at home um, I made that work for myself um, so my idea of feminism probably had been a very individualized you know I'm going to make sure gender doesn't stop me from doing anything rather than thinking about it at a sort of systems level. So that going back to the marches, that really made me think, well, wait a minute, a whole lot of stuff that we, or that I expected to have changed 
partly because there is such amazing, robust research now that says gender equality just makes sense on so many levels because the fact bases their behaviour will change. And I realised that actually behaviour hadn't changed. That, Which is not to say, obviously, we're a different world for women than we were in the 1970s, but there's so much yet that hasn't changed. Um, and that really reignited this need in me to do something uh, at this stage of my career to really embrace and use the skills and experience I've got to try and make change happen. What does Women Fund stand for? So the, the Women's Fund it came out of a recognition that when I'm talking to people about giving and charitable giving, I was most often talking to women. And I thought that's interesting, is there's something inherently different about the way women approach generosity. And uh, I did some desk research on that. There's a lot of research in the US. And uh, yes, we approach giving quite differently to men. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of factors in that. Um, we, we give all, women give all the time. They just... Yeah almost on a daily basis, we give uh, a dollar here, a donation here, uh, whatever it is. But, but for men, men tend to give uh, fewer times over their lifetime, but they give big mm. often. So they make these big uh, giving gestures. So when you look at history, often when we say, you know, who's, who's a philanthropist, it's a whole lot of men's names that come to the fore because they give these big gifts for wings of hospitals and helicopters and universities. Um, whereas actually over our lifetimes, women give more than men. Um, both elements of giving are, are equally valuable and important. What I, I felt was that there was this latent feeling that one day women would grow up and give like men. And with the Women's Fund, what I wanted to say was, actually, no, we give differently, and we should celebrate the way women give. The way women give is, is very powerful. And that's partly because there are some other things that come with being a woman and being generous, and that is that we, our biggest driver in giving is empathy. So we want to give where we can relate to your story. So if we're talking to you, if we're listening to something about an organisation and we get it, we're much more likely to give. But not just to give financially, but to, to start to get involved, to sort of see how the story ends. Whereas for men, it's a much more of a transactional uh, undertaking. Um, so there was all these, these qualities about women's generosity and also overseas, looking overseas, about 200 women's funds around the world. And I thought, God, you know, why is it we don't have a women's fund in New Zealand? Mm. Because of this empathy driver in women's giving, what tends to happen is that women's funds give to women. And that's because when you think about empathy as women, we've grown up as girls, we're living as women, we get what that's like. So that empathy driver means that we tend to focus our giving to girls and women. And girls and women are only getting, on average, about 10 cents in the philanthropic dollar. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, specifically for projects that support girls and women, and I was just outraged when I heard that. I just thought that is that is not okay. You know, that's just one of those underlying systemic resource drivers that means we're not getting the change that we need to get. Yeah. And in New Zealand, we might be ninth in the world for um, gender equality, but there is still so much here that needs to be done. And particularly when you break down some of those leading stats to think about how our Pacifica women are doing, how Māori women are doing, how our single mothers are doing. And 80% of our uh, families with a single parent, uh, the single parent is a woman, um, and the statistics around that woman's um, ability to get housing, to have access to the things she needs to raise her children to be able to work, childcare, are pretty dire. So there's no lack of need in New Zealand to focus philanthropic giving into women and girls. And also, uh, women and girls are incredibly powerful change agents in their communities because they are involved. And when they get funded, they're immediately thinking about how they can use that funding to benefit their whanau, their neighbourhood, their wider community, as opposed to funding that's given to a hospital and it's a transaction and it's finished so women are very hands-on as change makers and they have this fabulous ripple effect through the community so it's like win 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 you know this makes so much sense women love to come together they love to share they love to learn you know it's like community building relationship building um and i think that's why the women's fund has really taken off it's a really great initiative. And if you would like to support the Women Fund or find out more on how to get involved, just visit their website. I will make a post on my Instagram account, Girl Power Pod, um, where I can let you know more about it. So I read some statistics on the gender pay gap that we have and how it sits around 9% currently. And you know that Iceland last year became the first country in the world to put in an equal pay law. So any government agency that cannot demonstrate equal pay will risk a fine in Iceland. What do you think um, it will mean if we could close the gender, the gender pay gap in New Zealand that we currently have? Well, for, for New Zealand, at, a, at that macro level, so it's got to be an increase in, in productivity. Um, I'd probably break it down to say if you uh, had equal access to the workforce, that probably means that you've got a more um, equal approach between father and mother about uh, raising the child and doing the unpaid work of our lives, mm. which is a lot of that domestic household mm. work. Um, that doesn't currently exist in New Zealand. So I think last year, paid parental leave, 30,000 women took it up, 300 men took it up. So we've got a long journey in front of us to get men to embrace that equality. The good, the good thing is that the millennial and, and younger generations, you can really see there's a hunger that they want to be uh, equally able to be at home in those formative weeks. And that's a great that's a great sign. So I think once you start to break down that sort of gender norm in this country, you'll see a much bigger driver to changes in healthcare access 
and uh, women entering the workforce. What do you think is the next biggest challenge for New Zealand when it comes to equality? I do think that's the the next sort of big battle for us is uh, around um, gender stereotypes and gender norms mm. um, that we and that's a, a men and women holding hands, making change happen together. It's not just about women. Mm. I know there are a lot of men who are feeling trapped in this sort of stereotype of what it, you have to be to be mm. a Kiwi man, which is not about staying home and going to childcare, right? So uh, that's, I think, the next big battleground. Um, and g- gender bias is just a scratching the surface of that as a much, much bigger change that we need to go through. And how do you think we can create that change, that shift to happen? Um, well, as I said, I think that the generations coming through will demand more real equality. Mm. And I think we need to concentrate our efforts um, in uh, the younger generations so that this whole idea of gender bias is just not even there when you meet the workforce. Whereas at the moment, a lot of work is happening in our workplaces, certainly our corporate workplaces mm. around us. I think what we need to be doing is is more in the harm prevention, call it the, the getting ahead of the game, and working with high school students onwards in those formative years about how they see being a man, being a girl, being a, a boy, um, and what that means for them having that conversation early on. So I know you got three kids, which comes with a lot of responsibility, but also work. What would you say some of the key skills you would like to? see them have when they when they grow up um yes so i've got uh two girls teenage girls 17 and 20 and a 10 year old boy um i really value um curiosity and independence so uh the ability to i think you know your whole job as a parent from birth is helping your child become an independent mm. person in the world who can, you know, contribute and push the boundaries and change things for generations to to come. Um, so yeah, that idea of self awareness, of um, EQ, of curiosity, of knowing that learning doesn't just stop after school; it's something that carries on forever. Mm. Um, and that idea, I guess, of, of fairness or social justice. So we all come into the world with different privileges and being aware of those and uh, working to create equity of outcomes for people, not just equality. How can we teach the girls that grew up now to challenge the norms and the status quo um, that already exist in today's world? I think for... Um, Girls today, I would really encourage them to challenge the status quo, not to be patient. I think we're done with being patient. Mm. I was at a debate a few weeks ago at Parliament and one of the MPs, we were talking about quotas on boards, and one of the MPs talked about, um, she lost her rag a bit and she said, you just need to be a bit more patient. And, and honestly, for me, it was one of those jaw-dropping moments that I am sitting there and this woman said, we need to be more patient. And I was thinking, oh, it's 2018. Are you really saying that out loud? 
<laughs> in any environment. But I think there is this thing happening where there is a lot of change happening in our big institutions. Um, they, they are getting it. They, they do want to create a more equal playing field. They want to tap into all the great skills and wisdom that bring, being a woman brings an organisation. But they're like super tankers. You don't turn them around quickly. At the same time, there's all of this anger in the world. You know, women are just going, God, I'm, I'm over it. I'm angry now. And it's unfortunate that those two things are happening at the same time because uh, the anger could be seen as men-hating mm-hmm. and the organisations could be going, but we're doing things. Um, so I'd be interested to see how that plays out in the coming year, to be honest, from a, from a comms lobbying activism mm-hmm. space. So um, with young girls, young women t- today, when I'm doing presentations, I'm normally encouraging them to not accept the status quo. I think there's a lot that we've all done individually as women about our expectations, our confidence, our our view that we are equal to any man. Mm-hmm. We can do any job. Um, what I think we need in the world is to say, not only can we do any job, but actually we need to change the jobs. We need to change the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the message I'm giving them is uh, don't accept the status quo. If the status quo doesn't work for you, that's not your fault. Uh, you know, flexible work hours it, it is such a different, already a different opportunity for women now than it was. You know, I personally have no idea how many hours a week I work. Mm-hmm. And I suspect some of those weeks it's 30 hours and some of those weeks it's 50 hours. I don't know. Because for me, it's never about the hours. It is always about, have I achieved what I set out to achieve, what I needed to achieve Mm. this week, to get to where I want to get to long term. Mm. Um, So things are changing, but I think still they need to to fundamentally shift. I think, you know, an hour-based week in many workplaces is just a archaic thing Um, so we need these young women coming through not to find a way to adapt and work to what's there but we need them to say actually that doesn't work for me this is what I want Um, and then I can bring you my full self and actually I'd say the same for young men that they they also need to do that they also need to not accept that they're signing up for a lifetime of X, you know, 40-hour weeks, 50-hour weeks. Um, they need to think about what do they want to make their life whole and demand that we, we shift the systems. Yeah, I totally agree. And it also feels like there's a shift that's happening in the system at the moment, that we are working smarter instead of harder. It's less about the hours you put down and more about the quality of work that you deliver. What would you say has been some of the biggest challenges in your life? Yeah, I mean, I would say I've led a, a blessed life of of few major ch- 
challenges. Um, I have some health issues. I suffer from depression. Um, they've probably given me my most significant challenges in trying to uh, carry on as a mother and as an employee and manage that disability effectively without them seeing it. So, you know, carrying it internally. More and more now we are, we are talking about brain health and, and brain wellness um, much more openly in workplaces. Um, I certainly have a policy of being very upfront and open about it. Uh, it's not like, it's like, uh, sorry, it is like any disability, your kidney doesn't work well or your, your brain's got some um, lack of neurotransmitters or mm. connectors. Um, so that has definitely been my biggest personal challenge um, is dealing with the guilt you feel, uh, the you know worry that you you'll have passed this on to your children. You know, there's a whole there's a whole heap of stuff. But I, I probably of a generation where you just you just keep on going. So I've always pretty much just kept on going. Um, and that strategy has served me well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see workplaces in the world being more accepting now of it. Thank you for sharing that. I grew up um, with a mom that was sick most of the time of my teenagers' years. Um, to the start, you couldn't see that she was sick, and I felt that no one understood, you know, um, that you can still be ill even if you can't see it on the outside. Um, have you noticed a shift lately where there's a bigger understanding of that you can be sick without it actually showing? Uh, yes, I think there is a change happening. Mm. And I think if you're in a position where you, uh, you're you growing a family or you're managing a team, um, or for all of us really, we can, we can ask for this, is to really be upfront about the fact that we all have those times that no you can't see it on the outside but there's stuff going on and I've got a team of four where I am currently it's a small team we're in one room together and we're very supportive of each other of trying to read you're not quite right today why don't you just call it a day but also respecting that the individual will go, no, no, I need to get through this. Or, yep, you're right, actually, I'm going to call it a day. Mm -hmm. And not feeling any um, any guilt or, or pressure. So I, I make sure I do it very visibly. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, guys, I'm, I'm just not delivering today and I just need to, to get out of here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as a, as a leader, as a parent, the more you talk about it and act on it in a way that's consistent with how you're talking, mm -hmm. the, the more it allows other people to talk about it. In a, in a previous workplace, when I arrived, I, I talked openly about my depression mm -hmm. and that allowed somebody else in the team who'd been there for a while 
to talk about their mental health, mm. which, was, which is far more acute than mine. Mm. And he said that was the first time he had felt able to do that, that it was something that you could make part of the conversation, you know, bring your whole self to work. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think leadership, parenting, friendships, whatever you can do, in your relationships to encourage and walk the talk in that space is hugely powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think we need to see a mental health as important as physical health, you know? We should be able to talk about um, talk about mental health in the same way as we talk about the importance of having a good physical health. I've seen some workplaces having that's giving their staff the opportunity to have their sick days and mental health days instead to show the importance of you know 100% health for for you and um, I think that's really great. You're often on Radio New Zealand panel as a female leader how do you find those discussions? Yes yeah, so I do um, Radio New Zealand's panel maybe four, four or five times a year um, you never know till the day what it is that you're going to be talking about. But the host, Jamora, will send out a six-page uh, email in the morning covering off all of the topics with links to various things yeah. so you can um, get your head around. But but you always are confronted with things like um, there might be something about the inner workings of the Catholic Church that you would know nothing about. Mm. Um, and you're asked to bring your your experience and thoughts and wisdom to that subject. And that, that can be a little bit intimidating, but uh, we all have views about these things, and it's a, a show that generally likes to, to put two panellists on that have got slightly different views um, so that you do get that good, good discussion going on. So I've found it to be um, actually a great opportunity to bring some women's issues uh, to the table and it's been really interesting to see the reaction to those as well. Uh, yes, I, I really enjoy doing the panel. It's obviously not about women's issues and I try not to always be about women's issues either um, but it is a great opportunity to put some things out there because women in the media uh, as voices are still really, really low in New Zealand. I mean, I think that's a huge influence that we need to tackle. Um, I can't quite remember the statistic now, but it's something like about 18% of our main stories are about a woman. Mm. I mean, it is, it is low. I had a quite an interesting discussion with a man about the, um, the media and how they doesn't show... Oh, it doesn't reflect much of women, women's sports uh, on TV. And he said, we basically said that, well, it's just because female sport isn't as interesting as male sport. Um, and I told him that, like, that's, that's not what it's all about. It's about the equality and, you know, not only um, make the guys to be the hero profiles. It's about showing as much sport of female sports as men's sports that's how you create equality and that's how you also create a bigger interest for the sports the media needs to play an important part in that as well i've loved seeing uh 
since last year the emergence of WISPA, which is Women in Sport Aotearoa, yeah. um, who are really going to change the the landscape for us around lifting the profile of women in sport. Yeah. And you can see it changing yeah. already. Um, but, but I, they were going through some statistics with me this week about I think it's we've only got two um, – high-level women coaches in, across any sport mm. uh, in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and sports management, it's it's even worse. Uh, you know, the statistics of women actually going through the ranks to the top of sport are really, really low. Mm. Um, that's an area we definitely need to tackle. Mm. And doing that at the same time as focusing on what we're seeing so I think I think you're right there that if you see it, you can be it, right? So um, if you're not seeing it, if it's not normalised in your media streams, uh, then it's not something you think, I can do that. Mm. You know, that's the power of having Jacinda as our, mm. our PM, no matter what political colour you are. Um, it shows girls growing up that they can be the Prime Minister and they don't have to be 70 to be the Prime Minister, they can do this. Mm. Um, there's huge power in that. Mm. Um, the more women we have in those those role model positions and the more visible they are in the media, um, yeah, the more that will contribute to change. I mean, this week we've had the top 200 business awards. We have them every year. Mm. They look at our corporate businesses um, and the business sector and they award things like the best CFO and the best CEO and visionary leader. And um, I've been off work this week and I've just been scanning media relatively lightly. But all of my scans of media around those awards were 50-year-old white men in suits. Now, actually, the visionary leader um, award was given to Marilyn Waring, mm -hmm. who's an amazing Kiwi woman. Um, you know, she should have been the face of the top 200 awards uh, if business is serious about, you know, profiling women and building equality. Those are the women we need to be seeing. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying that's business's issue because it's the way media then represent what, it, what has happened. So there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. So how do you think that you cut into a highly male-dominated industry? Yeah, so I think um, we're seeing this happen. So if you take sort of engineering uh, at the moment, the, many of our universities have got uh, people appointed, women appointed to work and encourage women into the engineering space and working with industry to create opportunities for women to work through that space. A lot of those, you know, women in property, women in um, construction, women in engineering, so these sectorial groups of women supporting each other to go up through the ranks. Um, I think we still have that issue where we'll be getting a cohort of women getting so far and then not, not necessarily breaking through, mm. um, which is definitely, say, 65% of law graduates are women that's not represented in the top of the legal profession. Mm. And that's actually, in, in the legal space, that's a really good example of where you need systems change. Mm. Um, architectural firms are very like this as well, actually. They find that the partners are all men. 
um, but they've got great women in their business. Why is it that women aren't becoming partners? I think a big feeder of that has been the fact that women have uteruses and they have babies. Um, and that the way it works in New Zealand, that really divides their time and their, their loyalties about, I want to I want to succeed at work, I want to be a good parent. Ultimately, it all becomes too much and they have to choose. Mm. Businesses need to be smarter about creating an environment and a system where they don't have to choose, where they can, you can have a part-time partner. Mm. Um, and and that, that is changing. But So, yeah, we're getting to that point where we're, we're getting... We're getting strong cohorts in engineering and construction coming through, um, but we, we need that systems change above it. The other piece in that uh, change cycle is around the subjects that girls are choosing to pick up and take. Mm-hmm. And there is some good work being done uh, around STEM by organisations, mm-hmm. a lot of different organisations, to encourage uh, girls to embrace and enjoy science. You think about Michelle Dickinson or Nano Girl, as she yeah. she was known. She's doing great, great things in that space. There's lot, yeah. There's, there's lots going on in that. So if we can get that feeder piece right, and we can change the system at the top, I think the middle bit is is isn't as much as I know anyway. Is is changing already? What do you think men can do to bring more equality to this society? Yeah, I think. Um, there's an interesting debate about unconscious bias and, and is it really unconscious? Can you have a bias and be unconscious? And what does that phrase even even mean? But I think for a lot of men, they've been a bit in the space where I was, which was um, uh, things will change. They you know they will naturally change. Uh, when I spoke to someone recently who's a CEO and I asked him about pay pay equality, he goes, I've never I've never paid a woman differently to a man. Um, and I think a lot of men have that view on the surface. Mm-hmm. And it's not till you actually unpack that and you talk about, well, on what basis do you award pay? And um, you know, it's a negotiation. Well, we, we know that women negotiate less, that women um Uh, bring different things to a discussion around pay than men do. Mm. So if it's just a negotiation and you look at their data, they're paying women less than men Mm. because of that, which is not their fault, but but they need to be aware of it. So I think there's some holding up the mirror for men, Mm. actually dig a bit deeper and understand what's going going on in their work practices. And, And if you're a male leader to encourage women to uh, negotiate differently, to encourage women to speak out about what's not working for them, be that individually or, or systemically. So I think there, there is, it's not about men are bad, it's not about men hating, it's just about um, being a bit more aware that these differences still exist And how can we create an equal playing field uh, for everyone out of it? What do you think women can bring to the table that men necessarily can't bring? Yeah, so I think I think we still are raised differently. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to get to a place where we're raised much more equally, um, and that's not just about pink dresses and blue trousers, but 
um, right from the start and the storybooks we read and uh, what we see in media, you know, the role of Buzz Lightyear versus the role of um, Jessie on her horse. Uh, you know, there's just there's so much stuff in our in our formative years that creates these gender yeah. boxes. Um, so accepting that we're still seeing women encouraged to be more nurturing, to put others first, to look after their community, um, that the language around boys and girls is still very different. Um, just take the leadership piece, boys lead, girls are bossy, those sorts of things. Mm. We, we're still not dealing with two with equal things. Men and women aren't the same. So we're, we're in an environment where you have to accept that you can be different but be treated equally. Mm. And that means one size doesn't fit all. It may do one day in the future when we, we get rid of all this gender nonsense. Mm. Um, but right now, it doesn't. So I, I guess I'm saying that because I these things I, I think women bring to the table are, are not things that men can't bring. They just haven't grown up in a world that encourages them to bring it. Mm. Sim similarly, on both sides of the fence. So women are innately community builders. They will put others before themselves. They do um, naturally bring uh, a nurturing, um, empathetic, caring uh, sense of themselves and who they work with to the table. Uh, so you'll see women not push themselves forward because they want to give everyone else the opportunity um, or say, yes, but I'm also a mother, so I can't really push myself for that role. Um, so do you think men think like that as well? Like, I'm a dad, I can't do this right now or I can't put myself out there because I need to keep my focus on my family now. You know, I say that and there's a kind of nag in me because I think... There's no reason that men can't bring that. Um, no, I think I think we encourage boys much more to be competitive, mm. um, to win, and, and we with our girls today, I think we're doing much more of that than we have done in the past. But girls are much more encouraged to be nice and pretty um, than to be competitive and win. So you take this about applying for a role. There's a, a role put up. There's an equally qualified man and a woman. Um, they both have about 60% of the skills for that new role. Mm. The guy absolutely is applying. He can do it, no problem. The woman is going, oh, there's that 40% I can't do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's reflective of that whole dynamic about mm. how we're brought up. And obviously these aren't absolutes and some women are very competitive and some men are very nurturing and, and et cetera. But in the, in the bell curve of life, we still have that, that dynamic. Do you think it should be quotations for companies and boards? Bring on the quotas. <laughs> and the reason I do, and the reason I do now, is because we have this... Uh, we have this momentum. There are lots of very qualified and experienced women um, who have 
done their work to train in governance roles, they've got depth of experience and they're ready. Um, so we've got momentum, but it's like a train that's going at 30k. Mm-hmm. So I think in that case, quotas are really useful because instead of now it taking another 15 years to get to 50-50, if we intervene with a quota for 10 years, we might find that instead of it taking 10 years, it takes five years. Mm. And why would we not want to be 10 years closer to, to equality? And quotas don't have to be there forever. You know, they're, they're an intervention in a market to create or amplify change that is happening already. I'm not, I'm not fearful about interventions that make sense where there's already momentum happening. I think it is it is deeply wasteful of New Zealand's potential and productivity for us not to intervene mm. uh, and to allow another 15 years when we know that having women in governance roles improves the productivity of organisations, masses of research, why would we not be? And maybe we do actually need intervention so I'm all for quotas. What advice would you give to a high school student that can't go to university or might not see the point of going to uni? Yeah, well, I would say that we're entering an era, you're growing up in an era, where university is not the only pathway anymore. Mm. So um, I, I think the key, the key skill you need to, to have to learn, to nurture, is to always be wanting to learn. Mm. Um, education is such a different space now to what it used to be. We used to have to learn all this knowledge. Um, we don't need to learn all this knowledge anymore because we've got computers in our hands every day mm. that can can give us this knowledge. And similarly, we are raising a a generation of of girls and boys who turn up at university, and if if the lecturer doesn't deliver over and above what that person could get from the internet, they're going, why am I getting into debt for this? You know, does that make any sense? So um, I would say don't feel any... um, less than just because you're not going to go to university. Mm. Just just bring that desire to push yourself, to challenge yourself, to learn new stuff, to not to not stagnate, to to find whatever way you can to grow and reach the potential of who you are. Mm. That may be university. You know, if you want to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, you're going to go to university. University has an important place in our worlds. Um, but less and less so, I think it is the key to success. And it, less and less so, I think it will be the key to earning more. What advice would you give to female that might not have a great role model to look up to? Yeah, I, I'd find a I'd find a community. Um, and the great thing about the internet is that there's lots of um, really positive online communities that you can join, um, where you can tap into inspiration and support and mentors. Um, 
role models. So if you can't find it in your in your whanau or in your in your neighbourhood, um, try and find it in different ways. Uh, if you're at school, find a teacher you look up to. Um, talk to them about it. Uh, if you're in university, there's lots of lots of opportunities to get uh, connected with mentors and role models. Mm. Um, and it's just that that keep that dry, you know, hold on to that. Don't accept the status quo. Um, it can it can be different for you, even if you don't have access to that role model. And there are great organisations like the YWCA who provide and connect um, young women, say, with, mm. with mentors. So I, I definitely find that for, for girls who are motivated to want to change, um, they'll find a they'll find a person. They may not find a their person instantly, mm. but they will find their person um, and if they're feeling worn down by the fact that they're not accessing someone who can walk beside them on their their pathway, mm. um, then get in touch with a YWCA or go back to your school if you've left school. Um, if you're in a workplace, is there someone there that can, can help you? Mm. Yeah. Do you have some advice to a woman that wants to give more or wants to grow into a more leadership position? Uh, yes, I'm sure they're not groundbreaking bits of advice all heard before, but I'd say um, no matter what you're doing right now is to think of yourself as a leader, um, to ask yourself if I was leading this, whatever it is you're doing, what would I do differently? And behave that way. Behave like a, a leader. I mean, I have a view that we're all leaders. We're all leading our own lives and our destinies. And um, so, think it. You know, visualize it. So it helps to start to shape your behaviour. Mm. Um, look for any leadership opportunity that is going. Um, and grasp it, get get experience, uh, and then that can come in so many different different forms. Um, and it's also it's never too late. So <laughs> when I started the Women's Fund last year, I'm in my fifties. I'd never started something up before mm. as a startup, and I found that because I was just so passionate about the cause and the opportunity, I just did it without thinking too much. Um, so believe in yourself. Don't think about what you can't do and you haven't done. Um, put yourself up for the challenge of saying, I can do this. I can I can lead this. And if there are things that you're thinking, oh, I need to, I need to learn about that or I need experience in that, go and get it. Go and find it. Mm. Um, ask your organisation or your big sister or your aunt or whoever I need to learn about business finance how do I do that mm. how, do I, how do I get some, some knowledge and language around that mm. go and do it 
And if you're not doing, if there's nothing in your life at the moment that is freaking you out a bit because it's a bit scary because you've never done it before, then go find something. You know, we should we should always have that element in our, in our life of being on the edge a little bit, teetering a bit a bit on the back legs of our chair, where you don't know which way it'll fall, um, because that's the edge of learning and progress. I like that. I think when we when we grow up, we are constantly on the edge, you know, learning new things and constantly feeding on that. Uh, but as we get older, we get more comfortable. So I think it's really important to, as you say, constantly question yourself. Are we doing this because it's easy? Or are we doing this because we are actually lazy? Or are we doing this because this is what we want to, we want to learn or we want to find new ways and develop. You must have met some amazing women through the Women's Fund. And uh, Do you have any stories or any women that really impressed you or that you think have done some amazing things? I guess we were about four months old and we held a conference, a one-day conference yeah. called Women Give. And we had we only had about 120 seats. We sold out, um, and had quite a mix of women who came to that event. And it was quite an extraordinary day. I mean, I'm, I'm still quite amazed that when you get just women, or 99% women in a room, there's a different energy. And women relax in a different way. Mm. And for some women, that's still quite a new thing. Um, so there's, there's this lovely sort of energy and richness that came from it. And it was a really successful day. But I was just blown away by the feedback I got. It was even months later, people coming up to me and saying, oh, my God, I'm still I'm still so inspired by that, that day. And... I didn't think about my small amount of giving could be significant and now you've made me realise that I, if I look at it all, actually I'm giving quite a lot. How could I maybe do that differently? Um, people who've joined joined the fund and gone, God, it's just such a, a wonderful community of women. Um, you know, women. Women's generosity of spirit towards each other mm. And actually, we, we just we did our first awards in September, and similarly brought about sixty five, what I call women who are making change happen in their community. So they've seen an issue, they've gone, that's not okay. I'm going to sort that out. An example of this is a woman who lives in a very multicultural uh, suburb, who saw that migrant women were often isolated because they couldn't drive. Mm. Um, so she said, I'm, I'm going to create a driving school for these women. So she found cars, she found access to petrol, she found driving instructors, she found, you know, a translator in every language of the world who has to go with the driving instructor so that the woman can mm. learn to drive uh, all on a shoestring while she's running her life. Mm. Um, and, and she is changing families' lives by enabling these women to get on the road. And those women have really touched me hugely mm. I've also met a couple of women who have long been in the women's movement um, 
who I hadn't had the good fortune to meet, who have just got such wisdom about the different waves of feminism and what's happened and how change happens and mm. um, oh, it's just so many women, women just dedicating their lives to helping other women. It just blows me away, it really does. Yeah, that must be a very inspiring environment. It's a hugely inspiring environment. I, I love the work of the Women's Fund. Um, I'm so keen. This year is all about growing for us. So, mm. how do we um, have more impact? Mm. Uh, does that mean getting more funds in, or does it mean working differently? Or I think the default you think of when you start something up is, "Oh, I need more money this year." I'm trying not to think about that, but think about to have more impact. What can we, what can we bring to that? Mm. And that, that is also very much a thing about the Women's Fund is it's not just about money. It's about a community. And we gave away some money this year. But for the recipients who came to this workshop day or retreat day, it was actually about saying thank you. We, we did this thing where we worked with the massage school and they came into the workshop with three massage chairs. And I said, look, any woman can just go and women can multitask so you can listen to the speaker and get a message at the same time. <laughs> and there were women in tears mm. that that they could just go and do this. So it was part, it was partly a to nurture and to say, you are such such an important asset in your community. Mm. We want to thank you for that. Um, we also want to understand what skills you need to learn. Um, but mostly we want the 60 women in this room to share and connect and understand that you each have gifts that you can contribute. Mm. But also you each can put up your hand and say, I need this. Can anyone help me with this? Mm. And that was September and that group of women are still very connected. And we're actually developing a sort of a year-long program of workshops for them for next mm. year to fill in some of those skill gaps. So it's not about... Money is an incredibly important resource. Mm. It's not just about money. It's about support. It's about feeling I'm not alone. It's about um, being able to connect and tap into other skills. It's about looking after ourselves as well and not forgetting to do that. So yes, it is a very, it's a very inspiring, powerful space to be. Do you have any quotes that you live by? Quotes I live by? I don't think so. Um, I guess there's the And Still I Rise, which is Maya Angelou. Uh, there's a few of her quotes, actually, that I I particularly love. There's some some proverbs, Māori proverbs, that I also regularly reoccur for me. And someone gave me the gift of a, a saying about, let us be the the feathers in the bird's wings so the bird may soar. And I thought for the Women's Fund that was actually a really lovely saying about remembering as somebody who's giving time, money, skills, whatever, that you're the fuel, you know, you're the feathers. Um, you're helping that person lift off and take off and I, I think it, it is always important to be humble about that and to remember that um, we are we're not even enablers we are we are just one input into 
somebody like that magnificent woman working to create a driving school for migrant women, um, we're, we're feathering her wings. How do you get inspired or where do you find inspiration? How do I get inspired? I, um, I guess I'm inspired a lot by the people I encounter. One of the great things about going to the women's space is I just get to meet magnificent women all the time. It's fantastic. And more and more I'm seeing how collaborative women are, mm. um, how willing they are when prompted to, to share. So one of the things I found in the women's sector was that everybody sort of knew each other who headed up these women's organisations, but at no point did the, they come together and meet. So I said, okay, I'm the naive new kid on the block. So I'm going to invite everybody to a meeting every two months. I'm going to have coffee and we're just going to share what we're doing. And um, and I had an amazingly good turnout. And the, after the first meeting, everyone was going, wow, this is so great. Why have we never done this before? Um, and I think partly that is because the, the, the current system designed for men that is based on this competitive mm. um, paradigm is different to how women naturally work. Mm. So they tend to close down that sharing and collaboration. Mm. Um, and when somebody knocks on their door and says, no, 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 let's do this, women are really willing to do it. There's no ego around the table. There's just people just share. Uh, you never. I've never left those meetings thinking, what did that person really mean, or what was left unsaid. They're just really open, fantastic sharing. A lot of love. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of a lot of mutual passion to change. So go, we've got a moment in history at the moment that is ripe for change. How do we make that? That's an, the other thing that I often say to both men and women is to recognize that we all have the power to make change happen mm. and it's in what we do that makes change happen so not underplaying thinking at all thinking is really important uh, but it's less about our words and more about what we actually do that is going to change things mm. and we can all do stuff so we all have power to change things, to actually push back against the status quo and say, it's not going to be that way on my team. I'm a terrible rule breaker, so um, this may not be the best advice for everybody, but I say, break the rules, break the rules, ignore the rules sometimes. Um, and say, it's not going to be that way on my watch, actually. It's going to be this way. So use, use your inherent power to make stuff happen yes yes for that what would you say success means to you well it's a cliche i know but that most important thing for me is to raise three human beings that will understand their place in the world and how to contribute and how to live fulfilled lives um who bring kindness to whatever they do. Uh, if I do that, I've succeeded. Um, on, a, on a broader scale at this point in my life, if I can contribute to making change happen for girls and women, both on an individual and at a systems level, I'll retire happy. 
coming down to my last few questions. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, chill. <laughs> just, just relax a bit. Um, this will pass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that would be the, the, kill fa- the, the, the key thing. I think um, your 20s, you know, you're, it's a very intense time of your life. It's a great fun time of your life as well. Uh, and all, all good with fun. That's fantastic. Um, I did a lot of adventuring in my 20s. Um, and well, I won't say I was a rascal, but I, I did some unconventional things. And um, I really try and encourage 20-year-olds today to go and do that as well. The world's changing so fast. Get out there, live in caves, do whatever it is, explore the underbelly of the world. Um, yeah, but I think we take we can take ourselves a little seriously. It all gets a bit intense about I must I must get on the ladder and I must start to do this and start to do that and I need to be the best parent in the world and I need to blah 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 blah. blah. You don't. You just you've got a, a hopefully a long life now. It looks like a very long life in front of you. Um, so just chill. Mm. You know, if you if you decide to go to university at twenty five at thirty, that's great. You don't have to do it at eighteen. There's no rule that says you have to do it at eighteen. Um, use your twenties to learn about yourself and explore and yeah, maximize that. Uh, learning curiosity part of your brain. And what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? Have babies now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not at all. I don't, by saying that I don't believe all women, you're not a woman until you have a baby, I think that's nonsense. You're, you know, we can choose to have children or choose not to have children. That's entirely up to the individual. It doesn't make you any less or more of a, of a woman, um, but I would say if you're going to have a family, I'd err on getting on with it rather than not. I know there'll be a lot of people listening who'll go, yeah, but where is the decent man <laughs> that I need? And I do fully uh, uh, confess not to have any answer to that question. Um, yeah, my 30s were quite a... A, a tough, well, a joyous and a tough time of having babies and my mother dying and um, juggling lots of balls. And um, so I'd probably say uh, be kind to yourself. Yeah. Just take some time for you and be kind to yourself. And that is a message that I think young women, 30-year-old women, are taking on board and hearing a lot more of is that you're no good to anyone if you're not nurturing and taking care of yourself. So yeah. find a way to do it. Yeah, the most important person in your life. Yeah. You. Yeah. What advice would you give to your 40-year-old self? 40s are fantastic. I thought when I got to my 40s, I'd have kind of arrived. I'd sort of... A lot of the angst and sort of intenseness of the 20s and 30s had gone. Um, although I did somehow manage to have another child in my 40s, <laughs> which erased a bit of that. But what I'd say to my 40-year-old self is that it gets even better 
once you get into your 50s, and I'm sure people tell me your 60s, you know, that happiness curve starts to lift out the other side. So uh, good things ahead. I mean, for me, you know, whenever you ask me these questions, I think I'd just say, just chill. (laughs) Relax and enjoy it. Stop thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. Just, Just enjoy where you're at. That was the last questions I had. Thank you so much for taking your time. Uh, it's been really reflecting meeting with you and I feel like I could have gone on for ages talking about the topics we've been covering today. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Susanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I met up with one of the founders from my food bag, Cecilia Robinson. It's an interesting episode that covering what happiness is and how to foster leadership in a flat organization. Make sure to not miss out.